Well, good morning. Looks a little more like uh, Christmas than Easter. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would show up in a way that um, we might know and, and experience in a deeper way what it means to be loved by you and to live in the truth and to understand all that you have for us in this life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know uh, if you consider what I call turning points. They're, they're what I would say are those moments that are frozen, you know, like a flash of lightning. It, you get a picture seared into your conscious mind. You know what I mean? On November 22nd, 1963, three shots rang out across our nation. A president was catapulted backwards and then slumped forward. You have that picture? In a moment, a whole nation turned. Many fixed in their minds that historical turning point. I was in grade school, and I think I was in second grade with Miss Louie as my teacher. Well, you don't need to go into that. But as a nation, we lost our innocence. Were we as righteous and heroic as we believed following World War II? In one quick shot, we got in touch with our dark side and have really seen it growing darker ever since in this turning point. Soon followed Vietnam War protests, assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy, Watergate, racial hatred, and America seemed mean, ugly, and kind of phony at this turning point. On January 28, 1986... Our hopes and dreams were crystallized in a school teacher who waited to be launched from the Kennedy Space Center. Her name is Krista McAuliffe. Do you remember this? Our children would be educated through the glories of technology many were watching on the TV screen. The crowning moment of science would rocket heavenward through a spacecraft called the Challenger. In less than 28 seconds, a whole nation faced Another turning point as we collectively watched a fiery rocket make a corkscrew cloud and then plummet into the depths of the sea. Our naive confidence in our technological ability blew apart in our faces and has trailed slowly from its exalted heights ever since. The Challenger disaster, in a sense, was a turning point. There have been sweeping movements back to Earth, holistic health, green buildings, and everything natural has been launched, in a sense, in its place. Not that that caused that, but was almost a symbol. On September 11th, I don't even hardly have to give the date, 2001, people around the world were mesmerized by what seemed impossible and unreal. A plane, a plane actually banked hard and pierced the outer armor of the Twin Tower, exploding into a ball flame. And the next hour, it's put a whole nation in the world, in a sense, in panic. 9-11 was one of those turning points. Our nation's sense of security will never be the same. On October 24th, this 2008, the world will stand shocked on the edge of their seats. You're wondering what this is about. As the Chicago Cubs sweep the Boston Red Sox in the World Series. <laughs> I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. Anyway, we can always hope. (laughs) 
You know, turning points are collectively for a nation of people, sometimes for a business, sometimes for a church, sometimes for a family due to an illness or a heart attack or a stroke or or some kind of crisis that has entered into your life. It comes and it allows for you at a certain point to begin to see things differently. And it causes, in a sense, a turn of perspective. They occur individually. You may actually be facing one today. You came and you've been in this process and and today might be a point in which you see and understand and experience life totally from a new place. Some of you may have experienced this not too long ago or even a few years back. And in fact, many of you could give a better message than me because you could just share your life story at a certain point. You came to a place and And you turned and saw and experienced life in a totally different way. Some of you will face this in the weeks, possibly the next year. This weekend is all about a turning point. Nearly 2,000 years ago, history turned on the hinge of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At a point in time, the universe was marked by this event. In fact... We even base in this Western civilization our time on this event. We are 2008 A.D. It's interesting that you note that the B.C. and A.D. dating system was to make the birth of Jesus Christ the dividing point of world history. The birth, life, and ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ are turning points in the world history. B.C. meaning before Christ and A.D. doesn't mean after his death. It means in the year of our Lord. So when Jesus was born at that point, life changed as a result of his life and death. And what we celebrate today, resurrection, as a turning point. The resurrection, as I was praying and thinking about it and allowing it to sift into my heart and, and, and to understand and to experience again its impact, is the single greatest truth, fact, this universe has ever had and experienced. Jesus disarmed Satan. Good triumphed over evil. Life conquered death. Light overcame darkness. Joy supplanted despair. Love overwhelmed fear. All that took place in this moment we call the resurrection. And at this point in history, God made his love, his wisdom, and his power available to all. Now, I want to share with you, spiritual turning points are interesting because they often don't just happen. They arise out of a struggle. I, I believe that these turning points, these points in our life, when we come to them, often there is a struggle. There is something that's going on. And, and it was very, very much what was happening in the life of the disciples in this first resurrection. Jesus had done all that he could to prepare them of what would happen, that he would actually be raised again. But if you look at the the first Easter, it was preceded by a time of terrible confusion, unrest, despair, even a sense of hopelessness. You think about it as it was read in the scripture. They came to this event and they were pinning their hopes on this Jesus Christ. And he was actually pinned to a cross. And the disciples in what they had hoped in was not just taken away from them and put on trial, but was desecrated and defiled and. And nailed to a cross and then put in a grave. And it 
And it was a time of terrible pain, suffering, confusion. Mary and, and the women that were with Mary had, had found in Jesus something that was so incredibly, overwhelmingly full with regard to what their hearts longed for. And they found that just torn away. Spiritual turning points. These times when you come into this place where you are approaching a turn that will forever bring change in your life often come out of that kind of confusion. Doubt. Pain. Fear. A sense of brokenness. Had occasion twice this week where people have called one with a, a, a friend of ours whose mother had an aneurysm and out of this place of incredible pain and confusion, I believe there's some kind of point of turn that's occurring. Another person who called with their son going through a difficult situation, and I believe again, these times, and painful and difficult as they are, it is so important to realize that although God is not the author of them, God is is present and available. And desires to be with you in and through it. And as frightening as it seems, as filled with confusion and fear as it is, God's there. God allows the process, because often God allows the process of our coming into places where our world is in a sense shaken in order to put us into a different place. To move us to a new A new track with Him. God will use even the worst, our tragedies, even our our own failures, and will turn them in our favor. Often in those kind of times, He breaks down our pride, our simple dependence, in order that He can resurrect a sense of life and hope in us. In fact, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is when Jesus turns to a whole bunch of people who are sick and ill and in crisis, and their lives were beyond their ability to control. And he makes this little statement. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. That just doesn't make a lot of sense when you're standing there in the midst of pain and confusion and doubt and all these things are taking place. It it doesn't make a lot of sense to say to a bunch of disciples who had pinned their hopes on Jesus and then had seen him pinned to a cross and they're confused and they're like Thomas doubting and they're going through this experience. And he makes a statement. He, he gives this truth. He says, happy you should be right now. Blessed, in a sense, you should be right now. When you are poor. Because he says, for theirs, for those who are in this place, theirs is the kingdom of God. It is possible that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the breaking in of the life and power and this resurrection truth of God can occur in these situations when you have to let go and you are in this place where you don't have the answers and you begin to look up and you begin to say, God, I need you. And he says, blessed are you when you come to these places because if your heart is humble and your heart is open and you are in this place where you're, you know, Broken before God. He says, then God, his kingdom can show up and make itself known. And my firm belief is there are many who are before a turning point today. The fear, emotional pain, a sense of hopelessness could be brought on by a moral failure. could have been a poor financial decision or just the financial time that we're in right now. It could be some kind of relational 
rupture and, and the thing that's going on with your spouse. Or it could be that something's going on with your kids and it's bringing you a sense of shame, a sense of, I just don't, I can't control this. I don't have my act together. And all those are what I call potential turning points. Those kind of times when you come through this confusion and you let go and you open your heart and you say, God, I need your help. And Jesus goes blessed. You and you and you and you and you and you and you who are in that place. God says, blessed. You're at a point. As you begin to trust, as you begin to open your heart in this time of confusion, doubt, whatever is going on, you have the opportunity for God to enter in. And what I find about spiritual turning points is not only they birth off and out of struggle, they, they, what I, they, they are hinged on a revelation. You see, the disciples, they came to this place confused and despair, and they, they needed something more than what they had at that moment. They needed a revelation. They needed to see Jesus. That's the picture you get of, a, of, a, of this turning point. They go through this struggle and they need a revelation. They need God to show up in some way. They need to know in their experience that God either loves them or has some truth to set them free or has some power to, to, to overcome whatever it is before them. And you may be in that same place and say, God, I'm in this place. I understand blessed that I am, that you're here and that your kingdom is here. But I need it to be evidenced in my heart and life. And the hinge of that is often a simple thing of trust that comes through revelation. And in in three different ways, you see the revelation of Jesus at this time of the resurrection that that comes to people's hearts, to these disciples, to to the women who are going to to the tomb. They see something and it changes them. This morning... Because of the resurrection, you could be standing before what I call a revelation of the transforming power of Jesus in your life. Today, because of the resurrection, that which took place 2,000 years ago, you could, through your simple, open-handed trust in looking to God, see something and experience something which I would call is this overwhelming power of God in your life and experience. The women, they ran to the tomb, and and I love how it is, is stated in Scripture, Mark chapter 16, verse 3. They're wondering on their way to the tomb, who's going to roll away the stone to the entrance of this place, right? It's a great question. They had brought all kinds of preparations for the burial. They thought he was still in the grave. They were going to help him in the sense of making sure he had an adequate burial. He wasn't really prepared. It happened so quickly. They all scattered and ran. They had to wait till the Sabbath is over. The Sabbath is over. The very first moment that they can do so at the crack of dawn when the new day begins, they wanted to run there and they wanted to prepare him with all the burial stuff, but they forgot one preparation and that was how they going to get in the tomb. On their way, they're going, oh, we forgot. And when you're at a turning point, you're ready to follow. You can sometimes say, but God, how am I going to get past this? What about this obstacle? 
and the resurrection is the promise and the truth. And I love it in the story of these women of God who comes and he removes obstacles. He's the kind of God who has the power to, to take those things out of the way. He's the kind of God that if it is an obstacle that is something that he needs you to go through, he gives you the power to go through it. He doesn't promise to always remove everything. He promises to get you through them. And in some occasions, God is so incredibly good that he does actually remove the obstacle because he's so powerful. And you're at a turning point. You've gone through confusion. You're at this place. And you are looking for and you need to see the revelation of God through the resurrection of his power in your life. And I, I, I love this. God is so good. He is so loving. He is so much in the plans of anyone who want to follow him that he goes ahead with the power to take care of the things that we most worry about. There is nothing, you've got to hear this, there is nothing that stands in your way if you are willing to walk in God's way. I would etch that in your head. There is nothing that stands in your way if you're willing to walk in God's way. You look at the next sentence in chapter 16, verse 4, it says, But when the women looked up, they had just asked a question. They had just wondered. They're following hard to serve the Lord, to do what they believe is right in their hearts to do. And as they are moving towards it in the midst of their confusion and their sorrow and their pain, as they move towards it, they look up at that moment and it says they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Isn't that just like God? Who's going to take care of the stone, God? God kind of goes, maybe I will. Matthew records it. He's a great color commentator. Any of you watching March Madness? He's, he's the color commentator to Mark here. Okay? Matthew writes, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And he went to the tomb and rolled back the stone and he sat on it. I love this. You've got to see this picture in your mind. The angel is actually sitting on the stone. Which means that it was lying on its side because the grave in that day, those graves were not the ones you dug. Kids, you have to realize the graves in, the, in, in Israel where, the, where Jesus was buried, well, he wasn't buried six feet under. They were caves. They were, they were places that were cool and cold where you would place bodies in these caves. And in order to protect people from going in and robbing or messing with those things, they would roll these huge stones and there would be this groove and you would have to roll it kind of into place. You could easily roll down in front of it, but you couldn't roll this massive half ton or so rock out of the way. That's why they were afraid. How are we going to get in this thing? But it says that that God, in a sense, saw it. He took care of it. And he, he sent an earthquake. And what I see is he says to an angel who is a messenger, who has the power of God and authority to do what God wants him to do. He says to an angel, he says, you see the women that are running to the tomb right now. They're worried about the stone. This is the picture I get. He said to the angel, would you just go down and kind of remove that stone? Okay, we'll do that. Sounds like a good project. So he goes down, the angel does. There before the stone are some Roman Marines. These are heavy, heavily well-trained, tough guards. They're not letting anyone in. They see the angel and they run out of fright. Never seen anything so bright in their life. Never seen anyone so full of the glory and power of God. This angel comes, they take off. And then you get this picture of the angel going, oh, how do I want to get rid of this stone? And he goes, earthquake. Stone hops out of it like a tiddlywink on its side. So the stone is now lying like this and he's sitting on it. That's what God did. That's 
what God has available for you in your life. That's the power of God. You may be at a turning point and the hinge turns on your simply believing this truth that God has all the power that's necessary for you. There is nothing that stands in your way if you are willing to walk in God's way. He will either remove it or get you through it. This is truth. And you in the place of confusion and wonder might be wondering and saying, but how it's simply as you walk and follow the Lord, He has the power to bring you to the place of becoming fully, because this is what He desires more than anything, that you become like Jesus, the character of Jesus, so that you trust like Jesus, that you know the love of God like Jesus, that you begin to live a holy life like Jesus. And He has the ability to do it. And He's here for you today. And all He says is trust. That's the hinge that allows for the revelation to occur. You put no agenda on how He will use His power. You place no boundaries upon its expression. You don't determine where or how or when or who it should be used upon. You just open your heart and trust God, His plan, His purposes, and allow Him to carry you in His strong arms and rest in that. Rest secure in His grasp. It may be that you are standing before a turning point that is not just even about power, but it's really about what I call the freeing truth that comes to the resurrection. It's the freeing truth of Jesus. In fact, one of the things that I learned a number of years ago, which I really believe is true, often we pray for more power. And God is up there going, I just would like you to have more truth, because power often comes right through truth. When you believe right, the power, as you encourage, step out in faith, comes often through truth. And so, here you see again the disciples and the the women. They're, They're running to the tomb. They see the tomb. They see the angel. They're alarmed. They're tougher in some ways than those marine guards. But they don't run away. The angel says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. In fact, he gets up. I can see him getting up and saying, let's come on, come on in here and take a look. That's, what, that's actually what the scripture says. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And the women, it says, left trembling and bewildered. They fled the tomb. And I think it's interesting that Mark doesn't change this. He says they fled afraid. They saw the truth. They saw that Jesus wasn't there. And they left. And whenever you come before truth, whenever you're coming through these turning points of confusion and doubt, God is breaking up things that you believe to be true. And whenever He presents you with a new truth, it takes time to assimilate it. You don't immediately. Sometimes you do. Some people do. But often a person goes, wow, I don't get it. How does that work? As you start to move into that truth. And that's what they are standing before. And that's what you may be standing for this, this morning. This freeing truth of Jesus. In John 20, the disciple John writes that he saw the grave. He went in. Peter got there first. He runs in behind and he looks at the grave clothes. And he says the idea of the grave clothes is it's not that it's all wrapped up and Jesus took them all off. It's that they're like a shell that's deflated. And it says he immediately believed the truth. His heart had been prepared. 
And the truth lifted his fear and his doubt and despair. He saw something that he couldn't before categorize. And now it took away the despair, the fear, the doubt, and, and everything changed. As Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And you may be at a turning point today. And the hinge that turns your life is believing what is true. It could be the simple truth, this very simple truth that you maybe have heard before. You've heard it in your head, but you just can't seem to grasp it. And it's not really just a head thing. It's a will thing. It's, it's, it's the hinge is now at this point, not just that you get it in your head, but you trust it with your heart. And you say, I'm going to step into this turn. Which is simply this. That a relationship with God is not based on anything you do for him. It is not based on your being here and your giving and your serving. Those are all what I call fruits of someone who you know loves you. you. You respond out of gratitude. But your relationship with God is based not on what you do for God, but it's based on what he has done for you through the cross, the expression of his love. It's basically this. He loves you so much that he wants you to experience life and he wants you to recognize your sin, understand your need of him, come to this place where you're at this, this time of sorrow or confusion or, or you're trying to figure it out and he finally, you're finally getting it. You know in your head, It's been one of these truths that you've seen there, but you've never said, I will commit my life to you and I will trust the fact that it's not what I do. It's not the things that I can give you, God. It is merely this simple truth that you love me and I will finally just rest in this truth. And it frees you. It frees you to begin to love in a way you've never loved before. Nothing binds people in what I call the grave clothes of despair more firmly than a well-believed lie. Nothing keeps the power of God back from your life than living and being bound by these grave clothes, which I call our lies. I love the Far Side cartoon. There's a little boy at the top of the stairs. You ever you like Far Side? It's a little bit, I'm a little bit off on that side, too. So anyway, this little boy, he's at the top of the stairs. He's hungry, and in his mind above him is a picture of cookies. Look at this picture of cookies. Below him at the bottom of the stairs is the belief there are alligators waiting for him. And the caption reads, The Nightly Crisis of Todd's Stomach versus Todd's Imagination. There's so many people who stand that way before what, what they hear and they know in their mind and what their hearts long for and what they desire so much and what God wants them to have, but they have within their imagination these things which are lies of the world that keep them from moving into the truth, which allows for the power of God to flow into their life. I had the opportunity, I was in, in London and a number of years ago, and I was in a cab, I was... I was in a cab, I'm moving around too much here, I think, or something... I'm in a cab with a guy who's sitting next to me. He looked like he was from someplace um, in, in, from India or some like someplace there. And I, I saw a little Billy Graham track that was sitting there. And I, I just said, you know, are, are you a person who follows Jesus? And he goes, no, the guy before me was a Christian and he left me this track. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, what do you think about this whole thing about following Jesus? And he said... And that's really interesting. He said, you know, we had a long talk and he said, but you know, one of the things that I've always wondered about, he said, I, I've always wondered why it is in the Western world they seem to be so advanced technolo- technologically and there's so much progress. And I've always wondered sometimes if there just isn't some truth because, you know, he was sharing about the fact that, 
you know, mathematical formulations, other things. If you have those things correct, you often can build theorems and other things that help you do things. He, he, he's obviously pretty bright. Because I was lost going, yeah, I get the truth part, but what you know, Math? Stay away from it. Um, and I just said to him, you know, I think that's interesting. I never thought of it. It's not that all the things, obviously, you know, the Western culture is true and there's a lot of stuff. But some of maybe the basic things are true. I said, for instance, let's, let's just say like in, in India, you believe you, you don't eat the cows and that meat that's around you. Right. And he goes, yeah, that's right. And I said, you believe those are like ancestors. And I can understand if that's true. I wouldn't want to eat uncle or aunt so and so. I mean, it's just if that's true. I said, but what if it isn't? And you have these people who are starving and they've got hamburgers walking around all around them. That lie could really be binding a whole lot of rotten stuff. And we went on to talk and I, I just explained some other things. And, and I, I just shared the fact that there are truths that Je- the whole reason Jesus came was to free us with things that were true. He wanted to match the reality of what life is from heaven. He wanted to bring this heaven down to earth so that we could begin to live in it. And I don't care where you're at in your journey before the Lord. Every one of us, Jesus is constantly, I think, bringing us through many crises so that we can begin to believe with our hearts, not just with our heads, that God really will provide for you. He really has the power to take care of you. He really does know the best way to live. When he says don't do this, there's probably good reason why that he says you need to live in this. It may be that you're standing before what I call the turning point of an overwhelming, just overwhelming love of Jesus. Look at Mary Magdalene again. This is one that just stands out in this passage. Jesus appears to her. She's alone in Acts in Mark in, in chapter 16, verse 9. It says Jesus appeared to her first. Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Because she needed to know. She had felt abandoned before. She had known the incredible despair of being alone and being abused. God our Father knew, Jesus himself knew well, that he needed to come to her. And Jesus does. And he says, Mary, I love you. And when he says that, she realizes, it says she's in the garden, she realizes who he is. And he says to her, I'll never leave you. I need to go for a moment, but you're with me forever. And Mary felt the overwhelming love of Jesus. Peter had blown it big. He had filled Jesus to such a degree that he felt disqualified. He's ready to go back to fishing because he didn't, he, didn't really, he didn't believe he could do this disciple stuff. This following of Jesus stuff was just way too hard. He was just too much of a failure. He couldn't get in his mind that it wasn't what he was doing for God that really made the difference. He was a person who actually had followed Jesus and had done things with Jesus, but he still couldn't get the simple truth about the fact that it is how much Jesus loves him and not how much he does for Jesus. So that Jesus finds him at one point, gets him aside, and three times says to him, because Jesus deni- because Peter denied him three times, he says three times to him, Peter, you know, do you love me? He affirms again his love, and he says, I want you to go out and continue to follow me. And you may be at a turning point in your life where you're kind of saying, you know, I just can't do this thing. I can't live this life. 
And Jesus is before you and saying again today, and maybe you will believe it with your heart and not just your head, that He really, really loves you. I tell you, one of the turning points in my life was a time when I was wrestling with this. And I'd heard, I'd grown up in the church, I'd heard all about how much God loves me, but it was a time in my life when I actually looked in the mirror at myself. And I just said what I knew to be true in my head. God's crazy about you, Kevin. He's just so crazy about you. I had little kids at the time who I was crazy about, and I couldn't imagine in any way them not knowing how much I loved them. I never wanted them to think because they did a little neat little drawing that I pinned up on the refrigerator that because of that, what they did, they would be loved. I never wanted them to have a sense of their identity being in. The things that I do, that's where my worth comes from. I've always wanted them to know that they're loved, not just because they do good. I want them to know they're loved because of who they are and because I just love them. And do you think God has it any different for you? I, I honestly, folks, I truly believe that, that people's lives turn when they come to this deep understanding and they know deep within their being they are loved by God. And when they know this love, they actually experience, not just in their head, but fully in their heart, how much He loves them. Then out of that grace of His gift of love comes a sense of obedience and desire to follow and to walk with Him. I know this for a fact. I remember sitting with a person in, in a small group and this person was so bound by shame. The, this person had done something and he had, in, in his life that he, he didn't want anyone to know. And we sat around as a group of uh, 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 couples together. And as we built a relationship where it felt safe and we felt loved, eventually, finally, this person took the risk, had the guts to say out loud what he had done. And he didn't get rejection. He didn't have people go, oh. He had people come around them. And he felt through these people the love of Jesus. And from that moment, things started to change. There was a desire in his heart to begin to do things for God that he never had before. I tell you, the resurrection is a turning point. I read one of the saddest things a while ago in Newsweek magazine. The article was a cover story about the refurbishing of the Sistine Chapel. I spoke with my daughter on the phone. She's living a block and a half from the Sistine Chapel from the Vatican these days. Talked to her on the phone a couple of days ago. I said, you know, Kenzie, you've got to go in. Look at the Sistine Chapel. Let me know. Are they still doing work on it? Because they had found out that the work that it was all muted and kind of dull tones and colors for years. They thought that's the way Michelangelo painted it. But they began to take off some of the layers of dirt. And they began to realize that underneath it were these bright colors, beautiful, vibrant colors. She called me the other day and said, Dad, I went in there and all the work's done and it's so beautiful. Which I get to come and see in May. I can't wait to see her and visit her. The article cover story was talking about the refurbishing. Years of dirt and grime had been removed, revealing the vibrant colors of the genius of Michelangelo. This man marked history with a brush. But listen to the closing lines of the article. Here's the closing lines of the article. Michelangelo lived for 23 years after completing the Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel. Died on 15, in 1564 at 89 years of age. And his, this is his last confession, folks. This incredibly gifted person who did these works of art for all humanity and for God. 
In his last confession, he lamented, I regret that I have not done enough for the salvation of my soul. And the article says, those who saw, who see the restored last judgment would have good reason just as once to dispute the master. And I just go, what a pity. What a pity. What a pity for anybody here to think that it's because of some coloring you did that God pins up on his refrigerator that you're somehow accepted because of that and more loved. One of the best colorings ever done pinned on a wall in this world by a man man of the name of Michelangelo died not knowing the truth and not knowing the love of God which would have freed him with God's power to move through him in ways that he would have never experienced because he believed that it was his coloring and the things he did that caused God to love him. All those kind of colorings you do are all expressions of love for someone that you know loves you. I'm going to ask you just to bow in prayer. Father, it is my desire and has been my desire that that no one would leave this place at this point in their life where they would believe they would even in any way think it's because of some coloring they've done. It's something they do. But they would leave this place knowing that, God, you are for them and your power is available to them. And truth has been laid out so that we could walk in it and that we could feel and experience deep within the love which comes from you. 